listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hi, I'm Aaron Fishman. With three games remaining for both the Rockets and the Jazz, and the eighth spot in the West up for grabs, we're honored to have Houston Chronicle editor Randy Harvey joining us. Among other things, he breaks down the team's awfully underwhelming season and opines on what the future may hold for James Harden, Dwight Howard, and company. While Randy has made previous stops at the LA Times and Baltimore Sun, he's unmistakably a proud Texan. In fact, he was the very first person to write about Hall of Fame Houston Oilers running back Earl Campbell. At the time, Randy was at his first newspaper job at the Tyler Morning Telegraph, and Campbell was merely an 8th grader. Without further ado, let's get started. The playoffs are almost here. Randy, thanks for joining us today. Well, it's uh, great to be with you. So I think it would be an understatement to say that the Rockets have definitely disappointed a lot of people this season. I have a lot of opinions on this, but they've gone from the conference finals to potentially out of the playoffs now. In your mind, what do you think are the biggest two or three reasons for that sizable drop-off from last season? Well, I think practically... um... You look at it now, every player uh, is probably not quite as good as they were a, a year ago. And, and in some cases, the, the drop-offs have been less than others. But you know, starting with the top, Harden's having a great season, but it's not as good a season as he had last year. Uh, they're not playing as well defensively. Uh, Dwight's played more games, but really hasn't. they haven't been more um, effective at that position, even though he's played more games than last season. Um, uh, Ariza and Brewer have, have taken a, a step back. Um, they don't have anybody at the at the power forward position who's really contributed at the level that they, that they, that's needed. Um, you know, they, Josh Smith, who I think was really uh, productive last season. Uh, they got him, you know, with the Clippers, they got him back. He hasn't been anywhere close to, to what he was. So I, I think it's that just everybody. I don't know if everybody was playing at their their best level last year, and just were, at the same time were due to um, uh, not have as good a year. You know, I, I, but it happened across the board. And I think something people might not realize from last season: the defense actually last season was better than a lot of people give it credit for. And this season there was a huge drop off there. Do you know any specific reasons why that might have been the case? You've got to look at, uh, start with um, Harden. And um, a, a lot of things, uh, one thing that a lot of people forget is that before last season, he was he was coming in off um, uh, you know, a world championship team. And so he, he worked um, you know, all summer um, and came in in shape. And uh, played really well defensively, played well, very well at, at both ends of the court. This year, he 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 didn't play with. There was no national team uh, 
um, endeavors in the off season. So he didn't uh, play in the off season and he came in really out of shape and he's really never, never caught up. And so uh, you, you start with that um, defensively. Um, I think that um, again, the, the power forward defense, um, I mean, Terrence Jones has just sort of disappeared and not that, he was a um, great defensive player, but uh, but um, you know, he he could you know he, he was better than than uh, than this year. Uh, you know, Demo really never has a uh, Monte Yunus never has uh, really played at the level they were hoping this year. Um, you know, after being injured a lot last year, and again, uh, like I say, Ariza and Brewer just lost a step, and so so I think there's. Yeah, I mean, I think those are the real, there's just not that sense of urgency that, that, that they had a year ago. I, I think in defense is effort. And they just haven't made the effort at that end of the court that you, that they mm-hmm. did last year. And if the season ended today, the Rockets would be on the outside looking in and it wouldn't make the playoffs. They do have a favorable remaining schedule. Their last three games are against the Lakers, the Timberwolves and, and Sacramento and Sacramento's resting all their guys. The Lakers aren't very good, but they're trying to send Kobe Bryant out on a positive note. And really, the Rockets are so inconsistent. I think that it would be a mistake to assume that any game is is an easy win for them. But what do you think their chances are of making the playoffs? Utah also will have to play a hot Dallas team as well. If we'd had this discussion um, a couple of days ago, we would have been saying you know, that they've got an easy last four games and that they yeah. should win. I mean, they, for a long time, they've been looking toward these last four games or everybody has is, well, those are games that, that they're, that they're obviously going to win. And then they lose at home to Phoenix. So I, I don't think you can, like you said, I don't think you can count on the Rockets in, in any game. Now, now they, they should beat the Lakers just because the Lakers are, are so bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and they're not really trying and you know, they got all the, the turmoil. Um, so uh, that would be shocking. Uh, but then, but then they got to turn around. They got to fly to Minnesota, play the next night in Minnesota. And Minnesota's been playing better. You know, they won a big game last week, and uh, you know, I, I think they're still playing. And that's been a game where not that I've circled on the calendar is a trap game. Um, you know, going going back when everybody was saying they have an easy last four games. I've been trying to say, yeah, but that, you know, it's not going to be as easy as you think at Minnesota. Uh, so that's, that's to me, that's the key of the three games. And uh, Sacramento, um, yeah, you're, you're right. Obviously, they're not, uh, they're not still playing, really. And um, so you, you can say they, they should go three and zero, but I mean, they really should have gone four and zero, and to lose to Phoenix was a was a you know real uh, was devastating. Yeah, I completely agree with you. That was a huge letdown, a game that they really needed to win, I think. And yeah, the, when they play the Timberwolves, that's on the second end of a back-to-back. And right. Minnesota's a little bit hot right now after their their big win against the Warriors on national TV. I also I wonder if it really matters if Houston makes the playoffs or if it would even be better if they didn't. They have that lottery protected pick that they traded away to the Nuggets um, to acquire Ty Lawson, whom we're going to talk about a little bit later. But what do you think about that? I mean, obviously, 
the coaching staff, the players, they want to make the playoffs. But does it make sense for the franchise to not make the playoffs? Would that be better for them this year? Especially yeah, playing I mean, the Warriors or whoever they play. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's it, it'd be better for them not to make the playoffs, get the lottery pick, than it would be for them to play San Antonio or Golden State in the first round and go, you know, you're, you're, you're basically either one, you're four games and done. And so what's the point of that? I, you know, I, I really don't see any, uh, uh, any real advantage for the, for the franchise. Um, I will say this though, that Les Alexander has always, even when they weren't very good going back, um, you know, two and three years ago, never was a guy who, you know, was a tank guy. You know, he would, um, you know, they, they were never going to tank for a, for a, for a draft pick or for a lottery pick. And, um, so I don't think that the, that's organizationally, um, they're not like some teams around the league that, you know, would, would uh, mail it in for the last three games because they don't want to make the playoffs. So Les Alexander wants to make the playoffs. He's, he's going to be you know, demanding that they, that they make the playoffs. But yeah, I, I think you talk to most fans here, they'd rather see them, uh, get the lottery pick. Ty Lawson's acquisition in that offseason trade with the Nuggets was a big deal, made a lot of news. He was uh, going through a lot of personal and substance abuse issues off the court, but a lot of people were excited about the impact that he could bring. But on the court, it seemed to be a a terrible fit. He's kind of like a a ball-dominant guard who, when he um, is at his best, he's dribbling the ball, penetrating and, and making things happen for his team, dishing out, getting those assists. But James Harden is very similar in that he's a ball-dominant guard. What was the problem with the fit? Was it essentially just that? It clearly yeah. didn't go as planned. Yes, yes. I mean, nobody nobody here who knows basketball thought that was a good – that was a head-scratcher to everybody. And, and you know, Daryl Morey is usually better than that. And I, I don't know what he was thinking because – both of those guys, they have similar games. They both have to have the ball. Um, and um, one, one or the other was going to be less effective um, uh, because you know, they were playing next to each other. So, um, that, you know, that, that made no sense. And, and it was no surprise when, when it didn't work out. And, um, and uh, you know, I know Daryl, uh, who I think is a, a, a you know, really good general manager and most things he's done um, have worked out. Um, but, but this one really didn't. And, uh, and uh, I'm a little surprised because I think everyone could see it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Given what you just said, do you think that it was the wise move to stop playing him so much and then to ultimately release him when they did just to cut their losses? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, they should have, you know, tried to cut their losses sooner. I mean, it, it, it was clear from the outset. It just wasn't, it was one of those things that just wasn't going to work. Yeah, I think I agree with you in that their play styles of Lawson and Harden don't really mesh together. I think when people were looking at that trade on paper, people were expecting like, oh, he can come in and revolutionize the offense. But it, as you said, it would really require either one or both to change the way they play that makes them most effective and it seemed like Lawson wasn't very comfortable in his new role but James Harden obviously the centerpiece of this team given his the way he plays 
his ball dominance and the defensive lapses we've already talked about the idea that he not having those national team obligations that you talked about earlier in this interview he came in significantly out of shape i think obviously he's still a uh, offensive superstar one of the best offensive players in the league but just building around him as your superstar maybe limit how good a team can be is there any merit to that idea uh yeah i think there i think there definitely is i there you really got to you've really got to get the right pieces around them and just go with it and uh, I'm not going to put him in the Michael Jordan category, but um, he's not that good. But philosophically, you've got to sort of do the same, build a team that, that fits. You know, the Bulls had to, had to build a team that fit with Michael Jordan. And, and you had some really effective players who had career years because they were playing with, with, uh, with Jordan and but the Bulls, Jerry, you know, Jerry Krause and Reinsdorf in that group, it wasn't easy. They had to, they had to, um, you know, it took them a couple of years to find the right pieces. And I think that's what the the Rockets are going to have to do. Cause I, I think Harden, I mean, Harden is a guy that um, he's a franchise player that you can build around. Um, but you, you've really got to work to get the right pieces. And that's why the Lawson thing goes back to that, that, that just made no sense because it was clear he wasn't going to ever be one of those right pieces for James Harden. And one of the other pieces, as you alluded to, for Houston is obviously Dwight Howard. I think most people expect him to opt out after this season with so much money coming into the NBA for the teams uh, to offer players. There are rumors that his relationship with Harden is a little bit strained now. Can you just speak on his future in Houston? Is he likely to stick around past this season, or do you think he'll probably be elsewhere next season? Yeah, I think it's all going to depend on you know he changed agents, and so I think it's going to be it's going to depend on you know, you know what the market will bear. It's going to have to be the right team. I mean, I I don't think Dwight's just going to go to any team and make them better, but you know if there's a team out there that uh, that, that needs a uh, thinks that they're, you know, a Dwight Howard away, you know, like a really good rim protector and defensive player who doesn't really offer as much offensively as he used to, but that's what they need. But if that's what a, what a team needs, that's the one thing they need to, uh, to take them to the next level or to be able to compete with, you know, San Antonio or Golden State, then, then the, you know, that's the kind of market that's going to be out there for him. I mean, he's not going to just, um, opt out and then find you know every team in the league wants them because that's not going to be the case. But yeah, I, I think that would definitely be what he has in mind is to is to get out. And I don't know about the the strange relationship with Harden. You know, it's uh, you, know, you you hear that, but I, I I really haven't heard it from either player, and I haven't heard it from anybody in the locker room. So if there's something going on there, chemistry wise. And it certainly seems from the outside that there is, but I mean, it hasn't really come to light. Like, it, you know, you, you hear, you know, in other situations in Cleveland or the Lakers, obviously, you know, you, you hear it and it, and it comes out and, and uh, here it's uh, just been kind of speculated uh, based on, you know, more of their body language than anything else. And is there any less urgency to, for Houston to keep Dwight Howard because of the emergence this season of 21-year-old Clint Capella as 
sort of a replacement, a young replacement at that position? Yeah, that's a good point. I think if he continues uh, this upward trajectory, then then I think he's he's definitely um, uh, you know a guy who's going to be capable of of playing that position at a, at a, at a high level. We just haven't seen it uh, long enough to know, um, you know, whether these these games are, um, you know, who he really is. And uh, but I'm sure the Rockets are, uh, are you know, are, are hoping that's the case. I heard a rumor that some of your reporters use stickum to type their stories. Is that true? <laughs> um, uh, I haven't. Uh, I, I don't you know, see. I haven't heard that, but I'll check out. I'm mean, we'll, we'll have to check into that. I'll be, uh, I'll be looking at their keyboards. More Sounds closely. good. But what was the significance of that story with Dwight Howard, or or was there none? He says he's been yeah, doing his whole career. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. It, it, you know, there's a, there's a lot of players who do something you know like that with talcum powder or something. It's just a, it's a, I think it was a non. Kind of, it was a story at the time, but I mean the NBA quickly looked at it and you know within a 24 hours so there's nothing to it so anyway i i was just one of those you know sort of uh, you know yeah. uh, unusual you know comic relief parts of the, of the season yeah very offbeat and the optics of it i don't think were good but i would agree with you it seems like pretty much a non-story just something to entertain us i guess <laughs> yeah i think so that's basically what it was and i don't think anybody uh Anybody took it too too seriously. So, and Kevin McHale was fired eleven games into the season. I know they got blown out early in in each of their first three games. They started four and seven. Just very unusual for a team that made it to their conference finals the previous postseason. And Daryl Morey was quoted as saying the team wasn't responding to Kevin. There's no time in the West, and. He's right about the competitive landscape of the Western Conference. But in retrospect, do you think that was the right move to um, cut bait with, with a guy like Kevin McHale, who had so much history with the team and recent success? Well, there were, there were some wrong move there. So either the wrong move was to give him the three-year extension on his contract the year before, or, or the wrong move was to fire him so soon. And one of those had to, to be, yeah. So one of those things was wrong. And uh, so I, I liked Kevin, and you look back at the results and, and now say, it's easy to say now, uh, well, they should have kept McHale, and um, you know, I think you can you can defend that. Like I said, I, I liked him. I thought he was a, a good fit for this team. I think the players liked him. I think the players played hard for him. And you know, there was a story that came out at, at one point not that long ago that uh, you know Harden didn't want uh, McHale, and Harden had gone to management um, and said, you know, the the, the team isn't responded to responding to him. And, and again, that's never been confirmed by anybody I know. So I don't know if that happened or not. And I don't know why Harden would have done that. If, I mean, he was coming off a season in which he was runner-up for MVP. So it's not like that he was flailing under under McHale. So I, yeah, I think it was a little bit of a panic move. But frankly, I I covered the Lakers the year they fired of Paul Westhead about at about the same time at about you know, 11 games into the season and they replaced him with uh, Pat Riley and uh, went on to win the championship. So it's not like it had no chance to work and or that there was no precedent for it. So, right. um, but anyway, but so 
I, you know, at the time you could say, well, if JB Bickerstaff was the guy that everybody's going to, if he's there, Pat Riley, then okay, it was a good move, but he hasn't turned out to be that. Yeah, JB Bickerstaff, interim coach, was a great assistant coach for a long time. I think he was probably the engineer of the overperforming defense from last season for the Rockets, but in his first head coaching job in the NBA, he seemed sometimes ill-equipped for the job. Do you think there's any chance for him to get a permanent job with the Rockets for next season? Or if not, who do you think might be their top candidates for head coach or best fit? Yeah, I don't don't think he'll come back. Um, Even if they make the playoffs, I I think they've been very uh, unimpressive. And he hasn't, uh, he really hasn't been able to, to, to get the most effort out of them. And, uh, you know, they, they have these real, lapses at times um, the other night they're up by 13 on, on a really bad phoenix team and then they lose by nine I, and, and that sort of thing has been happening all season where they just don't play with that sense of urgency and i don't think they um i think they know he's a, a lame duck coach and so i don't think they play all that hard for him and um so i, I don't i don't think he'll be back i think um and you mentioned him as the engineer of the defense. And really it was, you know, Kelvin Sampson uh, the year before that that started instituting, a, you know, um, a more work ethic on, on defense kind of mode for them. And Harden gets along great with, with Kelvin Sampson. He's popular here in town. Uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me to see them bring Kelvin back. Since coming over from China in March, Michael Beasley has been really impressive offensively. He has a high usage rate, and he's a huge part of what they do on that end of the floor. To what extent is that a troubling sign with a team that was just so good offensively a season ago, just to change their identity so much in March? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of desperation to it, but we saw it work last year with Josh Smith. They brought him in. you know, in Detroit, um, unceremoniously uh, dumped him, and the, they brought him in, and he had had the reputation of not being a good team player, and he played great. So, you know, Beasley's giving some, giving them some of that um, that offense that that they need. I don't know. I mean, you know, they get Josh Smith back this year, and he reverts to the Josh Smith he had been before, and not the one they had last year. Right. So, is this the real Beasley? Is he just on a you know, this is just a, um, a rehabilitation stop for him to try to do everything he can to show that he belongs in the league. And, you know, once he gets established, is he going to revert to being the Michael Beasley he was before? I, I don't know. I don't really trust, you know, I don't, I don't trust what we're, what we're seeing, but you're right. It does, it does show that, you know, something was desperately wrong for Michael Beasley to be able to come in here like this and, uh, change the, the the chemistry of the, the team and the output of the team so much. One bright point about Beasley, at least for me, is that at least he's taking some minutes away from Corey Brewer, who you mentioned before as having lost a step significantly on offense and on defense, I think. In my mind, I feel like almost all of his minutes should be gone, especially to be given towards the young guy, KJ McDaniels, who is still obviously not that skilled, but at least he's like on the rise. What do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean Brewer. Brewer has been, uh, you know, he's been a good player for them, and and 
And this year, it's just uh, he's lost a step. Um, uh, Jason Terry, another guy, just lost a step and not sure. You know, he's he's uh, you know talking about coaching jobs already, and so not sure how much his head's into it. Uh, and KJ, at least he's you know he's he's got there. He's, he's you know, the the on the um, on the effort scale, it's it's up there. I, I don't think he's a real good player. Um, and, and, uh, but, you know, there's, there's a role for him here. Uh, but, uh, if that's what we're doing, look, going into the next season is talking about KJ is, 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 um, one of their key components and they're going to be in trouble again. That's true. Um, you talked a lot in the early part of the episode about the lack of a consistent power forward for this team. Modi Yunus has been battling back issues all season. Mm-hmm. There right. was the voided trade with Detroit where he failed his physical. He thought there was something suspicious about that, and it really upset him as he's going to be in restricted free agency this offseason. He thought it hurt his, his stock a little bit. Is there any indication on how the organization feels about him moving forward? Is he likely to be back? Well, they'd like to have him at his best, but that, there's also the question mark: is is he ever going to be at his best? I mean, here's a guy who was really coming along, looking great, and then he's had the injury problems, the health issues, now the sort of emotional distress of, of the voided trade, and not sure what his future is in the organization. So he may be he may be just lost to them. You know, I don't um, I don't know, but you know, I think there's. Uh, there were, there were there was really some potential there, and the, the Rockets stuck with him, and I think they 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 got the most of it out of him for a while, and uh, and now it's just not working, and you know for for a number of reasons. But he 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 just may never be a hundred percent healthy. They reacquired Josh Smith during this season. You talked about this a decent amount already, but similar to last season, it was a situation where he was on a different team, wasn't working out, wasn't the right fit, and they dumped him, and the Rockets felt like he still had something to contribute. And it worked well last season for Houston, but this season he, he's getting a lot of DNPs. He seems to be in Bickerstaff's doghouse. It seems like he's running out of places to go. Is that just like what you were mentioning before? Maybe last season was a, just a showcase for him that he could still be in the league, and this season he doesn't have that or urgency anymore. Yeah, and I think also I think there was a. I mean, I, I think he, um, you know, Mikhail just knew how to handle him. Mikhail had a had a real knack for for uh, handling players, and uh, and I, I'm not sure JB has that has sort of earned that gravitas where all the players look up to him and they, they, you know, they could look at Kevin and see his championship rings and they knew he had been through what they've been through. And I thought he was a, I thought he was a good coach for them. And, uh, and so Josh Smith comes back and, you know, there's a different situation, a different rotation, a, a, you know, a different Harden, a different, um, yeah, just the whole thing was, uh, it was a different team he came back to, and um, and I don't think he, he just didn't fit in this year like he did last year. We've had a lot of negativity on this episode, and I guess it makes sense given the tenor of their season. <laughs> but I want to end with some positivity. Yao Ming is headed to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Very exciting. Well-earned. 
his career I know was unfortunately cut short by all those injuries. A lot of foot and ankle injuries had that knee injury, but how great of an impact did he have on the Houston community, the franchise and basketball as a whole? Well, I think, I think he fit in well in, in Houston. I mean, a lot of people don't know Houston as the diversity that it is and uh, the Asian population that's, that's here. It's huge. So, uh, he, he, you know, he had a great impact in that regard of being sort of the first Asian star in in Houston, and he uh, and um, you know turned a lot of uh, Houston people who hadn't maybe been Rockets fans before, um, you know, turned them into Rockets fans. Uh, I think you can say the same thing uh, internationally. Uh, I, I think he he was a, a big force in opening up the NBA to China and you know, the. And and certainly the Rockets have taken advantage of that, and uh, you know their their games have been televised in China, and they they're they're going there to play uh, next season, and uh, um, and so you know I think I think Yao was uh, you know besides being a very good player on the the court when he was healthy, and uh, you know they had some success with him. Besides that, I think it's it's you know he was a good player and certainly a great diplomat, and um, brought the two basketball communities in China and in the United States together. I know he didn't shoot threes, but he had a lot of range for a big man. I think that kind of may have, in a way, hinted at where the league was going with all these these big men who could stretch the floor. Yeah, I mean, you saw it before with Sabonis. And, uh, you know, you, you, you saw it with the, when, when we first started seeing the Eastern European players and and, and the big guys, the, the, the Euros. But Simonis maybe was the first really big guy I saw who could, who could knock it down from anywhere. Um, and then you, then you had, you know, Pond Gasol later after Yao. I mean, so, so a lot of that came from there was a different style of basketball than, than in the United States. And right. there was a lot more emphasis on, uh, around internationally on, uh, a lot more emphasis on, uh, on shooting no matter what size you were. Mm-hmm. Thanks again. We loved having you on. You're a really nice guy, but also you know your Houston sports, so it was a pleasure. Oh, well, thank you. It was great being on with you guys. I think you know your Houston sports, too. Thanks a lot, especially <laughs> Warren. I would hope he does. Yeah. <laughs>